This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, retail columnist for Bloomberg Opinion, Sarah Halzak, and NPR congressional correspondent, Susan Davis. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests, Sarah Halzak, my good old friend who covers retail at Bloomberg, Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Sam. It's so good to see you and hear you, and it's so good to hear Aunt Buddy's voice. I know, and it's it's so good to have you back, Sue. This is your first appearance on the show since uh, becoming a mother to a very, very beautiful baby girl. It's true, and this is only my third week back at work for maternity leave, and I came back to cover a government shutdown, so it is truly like I never left. (laughs) Sarah, great to have you here as well. Yeah, Happy New Year, Sam. Happy to be here. We are joined in studio by um, another friend. Her name is Taylor Swift. Playing one of her songs right now called Gorgeous from her latest album, Reputation. And uh, there's a reason I'm playing it, y'all. Tell me. What's the reason? So this week, Taylor Swift and her empire announced that they were going to, or that they are going to shut down her social networking app, The Swift Life. I didn't even know she had a social networking app. Nor did I. Is it a dating app? Is for Swift fans? <laughs> no, it was, it was just like a social media meeting ground for Taylor Swift fans to talk about Taylor Swift and come together as one fandom. Did they determine that they could just easily do that on other existing social networks? No, it's even sadder than that. So they launched this website at the end of 2017. It's kind of a promo vehicle for her album that came out around that time. And within two weeks, it had become a cesspool. (laughs) Like, there were these nasty debates about politics and sexuality and what they wanted to be this marketing tool with, like, Taymojis and, like, video content. It just became, like, online bickering. Like Kim Kardashian's app. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She created an app that's just, like, her lifestyle brand. They were trying to do that. So, basically, this week, they announced that Swift Life is dying. It's going to shut down February 1st. And it was just, like, this one more instance proving to me that given enough time, everything about the internet and every social media app and every social media space turns to trash. (laughs) The internet can't stay pure. Except Instagram, maybe? I'm still holding out for Instagram? No? Am I wrong? I I don't know. I feel like now that's getting sullied with ads, too, that is making it. I just, yeah, it's it's just an open sewer, the internet. It's just how it is. (laughs) You know? Uh, Although, did I just come up with my million-dollar idea for a Taylor Swift dating app for Taylor Swift fans? (laughs) Absolutely. I think I gotta go, guys. All right, we're going to start the show as we always do. Going to have each of my panelists describe their week of news in three words. Uh, Sue Davis, because you cover Congress, and this is a big week for Congress, you get to go first. Sam, I also think that the fact that you started with Taylor Swift, like we are always sometimes on the same page on some things. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I was feeling that vibe, and, and you will soon understand why. Uh, okay. The three words that I have this week are, they ain't ready. 
<laughs> Never ready. <laughs> and they ain't ready was the three words uh, in a tweet by Ilan Omar, who is one of the new members of Congress. She is a Muslim, one of two Muslim women elected to Congress in the 2018 midterms. So she's a groundbreaker in her own way. But she tweeted, they ain't ready. And along with it was... <laughs> This image uh, from the new Vanity Fair where they have done this photo spread of the new power players in Washington. Oh, I saw that. And she is one of six women uh, all elected to Congress this year, women of color, people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's gotten a lot of press attention, a Democrat from New York, uh, Sharice Davids, uh, who beat uh, Kevin Yoder, who was a Republican from Kansas, just these really high profile women. And the image is really beautiful and really striking. I mean, we've talked so much about diversity and in women increasing in Congress, but also, and it goes back to my Taylor Swift point, it's so visually to me the way that like Taylor Swift had and has her squad. Mm. This group of like younger, diverse women are totally coming into Congress like as a squad, right? Yeah. Like Ocasio-Cortez and Ilan Omar, like they're tweeting with each other on like taking like selfies and po- promoting them on their Instagram and social media channels. They have these huge social media followings already. Like they're already kind of superstars coming into Congress. And it's also what I think is striking about it is this kind of ballsy attitude hmm. among younger women coming into power, where I think a lot of times younger members, female members, always kind of came in, I don't want to say humble, but quiet. You know, learn the yeah. ropes, don't don't try to like be loud, get a mentor, figure out how to be effective here. And these women are just kind of like, boom, like kicking in the door and coming to the hill. Yeah, do you think this gives them, the fact that they're banding together in this way and kind of hooking arms, so to speak, does it give them more power to shape the legislative agenda? agenda than typically freshman representatives would have? I think it can to the extent that when you form a voting block of some kind and say we 10, we 15, we 20 are going to vote together on on X or Y, yeah, it can certainly have an impact. I think they need to know what they want to do. They need to stick together. And it needs to have an actionable result, right? Like protest for the sake of protest doesn't necessarily move the ball forward. And I mean, in thinking about the Democratic women in the House with swagger. The queen really is Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> she is yeah. not new. She is not young, but she's in charge. And she was sworn in again as Speaker of the House, making history again. What's her biggest challenge going to be? Is it going to be Donald Trump? Is it going to be the new Democrats? They're in the House. Like, what's going to be her biggest fight? I do not believe that the next two years are going to be about necessarily legislation. If we Hmm. still have divided Congress with Senate Republicans and Trump in the White House, not to say that there isn't certain things that they might be able to get deals on or move forward on. But I don't think this is going to be the same kind of legislative productive era that we saw when Democrats all controlled Washington under Barack Obama. I think the big question and the thing that Washington will be defined by in the next two years are House Democrats now have oversight authority over the Trump administration and they plan to use it. And they're going to launch dozens and dozens of investigations into how this administration has conducted itself. And there's a lot of smoke there and we'll see if there's fire. And also how the House and how Congress will respond to the eventual report by Robert Mueller and the special counsel investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Those two things will keep feeding the conversation of whether there will ever be enough to move forward with impeachment proceedings. And the answer to that question will always come down to the speaker because the speaker will be the one that almost has the singular decision making 
power to decide whether to Hmm. bring an impeachment resolution to the floor of the House. Now, I am 20 steps ahead of myself here, (laughs) but I think oversight, investigations, and the I word are going to be the debate that is really defined by this next Congress. Sarah Halzak, do you have three words? I sure do. Uh, my three words are choppy waters ahead. And Ooh. that mm. is what I think is in store. Evergreen tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's what I think is in store for the retail industry in 2019. So surely you've read tons of stories about the so-called retail apocalypse. Uh, Amazon is stealing everybody's lunch. Malls are dying. Well, 2018 was kind of this weird Goldilocks moment of respite from that. Hmm. Um, The consumer was so strong, was outspending in force. uh, And these long-term investments that retailers like Walmart and Target had been making for several years in being better at online shopping, they really started to pay off in 2018. And in fact, Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, said the consumer environment he saw in 2018 was the best he'd seen in his entire career. But 2019 uh, promises to kind of rain on that parade a little bit. Okay. Why? So one big thing is the uncertainty around tariffs. So there was a batch of tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese goods that uh, was supposed to originally rise from 10% to 25% on January 1st. Well, that has been temporarily delayed, uh, but there's just a big question mark around when that might uh, go into effect, if it will be delayed again. The other thing is the economy. uh, (laughs) Look, we did just have a jobs report Friday morning with 312,000 jobs added. That's a blowout. Um, Yeah far exceeding analyst expectations. So we we shouldn't uh, panic yet. But there are some signs that perhaps the economy is softening, including what's going on in the housing market. And there's also some signs that globally uh, there are are some risks ahead uh, with the Chinese economy. And we all saw, so this kind of cauldron of trouble kind of landed with a bang this week when Apple informed its investors that the revenue guidance it had previously given, it was going to need to reduce. And that's hmm. Because uh, it had much weaker sales in the China market than it had expected recently. What this Apple news this week made me think about a lot was, you know, a lot of Donald Trump's rhetoric around this escalating tariff trade war is that, like, China must be punished in order for America to to rise. But what Apple is kind of saying is... Companies like Apple need China's economy to do well for them to do well. And the fate of these international corporations, multinational corporations, relies on not just America doing good. That's absolutely right. And we see so many examples of this. There are a lot of major American companies where they expect much of their growth to come from China in the years ahead. Uh, Nike is a strong example of this. Under Armour is an example of this. Luxury brands like Coach, Kate Spade, uh, they really rely on the Chinese consumer enormously. Not Hmm. just in mainland China, but as tourists, right? So uh, Tiffany gets a pretty significant amount of its sales from that Fifth Avenue store near Trump Tower. And a lot of what's going on there is international tourist spending. It's tourists coming from China or other markets. And so if those consumers stop taking vacations to the U.S., that's no good. Um, Another interesting example of this is Starbucks. Uh, We all know here there's a Starbucks on every corner. Starbucks does not have a lot more room. Sometimes there's two on a corner. Right, exactly. Uh, We all know Starbucks does not have a lot more room to grow in the U.S. market. And so China is very key to their 
forward-looking business strategy. They're opening a store there. I think it's something like every 15 hours right now. Wow. Um, wow. And so if the Chinese consumer is not confident, is not in good shape, uh, you know, that does come back to haunt this this large U.S. business. Yeah. Do they have pumpkin spice lattes at the Starbucks over there, too? Oh, I wonder if they've got some, like, Chinese popular <laughs> flavors that would not be popular in the U.S. The way that, like, Japan yes. has, like, green tea Kit Kats and things like uh, yes, that. Yes, and McDonald's has special menus yes, for right. international yeah. individual markets. location. I do not know if the PSL translates to the China market. That's a good question. <laughs> that is a good, you need to, that's a good scoop. For you, sure. You need to, you need to be I, like, uh, I need to go to China and go deep on this one. Anyway, I have three words. Tell me. To the moon. And this is also about China. Uh, this week, Chinese state TV announced that the country put a lunar explorer on the far side of the moon. Some mm. folks call it the dark side of the moon. It's actually not all the time dark because sunlight hits that side too. Uh, but this was a big deal and big news. Um, the thinking is at some point down the road, China will send Chinese astronauts to the moon. Uh, so far, only 12 humans have actually ever set foot on the moon. They've all been American. But China's saying, we're coming for y'all. And I wonder, like... Are Americans seeing this and worrying about it, or is it a thing that kind of politicians worry about? I think I hear a lot of rhetoric in D.C. from the parties about the ascendance of a country like China, but is this a thing that everyday folks think about every day? I do think that politicians think about a rising China way more than we probably cover or give them credit for. I think the hard part is nobody has a good answer for what to do to it. I mean, there's some hmm. there's something about an, a rising China that's just an inevitability. China is yeah. a major world power that is rising. And how we respond to that uh, is unclear. Yeah, the thing I wonder about is that, you know, I think here the faces of the space race are no longer the government. They're these private titans of industry. It's Elon Musk with SpaceX and it's Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin. They have become the face of the space race here, I think. And that's kind of interesting, right? These Silicon Valley swashbucklers kind of uh, getting their tentacles in other spaces. And, you know, I wonder how that resonates with voters seeing that, you know, go into the private sector and uh, seeing the attention drawn away from the federal government in that space. Yeah. All I want is for all of us to get excited about the space race again. I was mad about this before because a few months ago, the U.S. sent the insight to Mars and no one even talked about it. I know. Also, I am like in for all these countries and all these companies doing whatever they want in space because I have watched enough movies about meteors yeah. coming to Earth to kill us all. <laughs> I'm big, you're ready to move to yeah, Mars. But like I'm I'm like I love the destruction porn genre, like anything that's like a meteor is coming to Earth and we must save it. And those movies like always ultimately have a lesson about like if we don't rely if we don't work together to save the world we're all gonna die so i'm very much for it get up there figure it out (laughs) you're listening to it's been a minute from npr the show where we catch up on the week that was we'll be right back support for this podcast and the following message come from you need a budget imagine getting the bills and just paying them or forgetting when exactly payday is because it's inconsequential What if an emergency wasn't an emergency because you had money saved to cover it? Their award-winning app and proven method will teach you how to gain total control of your money, get out of debt, and save more money faster. Find out why users call it life-changing. Try it free at youneedabudget.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. 
With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Life Kit is kind of like that friend who always has the best tips. Damn, good and up. That makes it a little harder. Like the latest on how to get a good workout. You didn't think you was just going to get me here just for nothing, did you? Life Kit. Check it out in Apple Podcasts or at npr.org slash Life Kit. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show. I never know if I should say it's been a minute or it's been a minute because I feel like some people can't understand the whole thing if I don't emphasize minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. (laughs) I think the Ben. I think think it's the Ben. It's been a minute. Mm -hmm. It's been a minute. (laughs) W-A-M-B-C. Yes, yes. All right, it's the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests. Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR, and Sarah Halzak, uh, who covers retail for Bloomberg. Glad you both are here. We love being with you, Sam. We sure do. Uh, Sarah, Sue, I know this is literally the first week of the year, but I'm going to go out on a ledge right now and make a big statement about 2019. I am going to say that this year will be the year of CBD. Mm. Mm, Interesting. You've heard of it. Oh, I've heard of it. Oh, yeah. CBD, uh, the word actually stands for cannabidiol, which is basically weed without the high. It is a part of a marijuana plant or a hemp plant being marketed very heavily right now to, like, suburban aunties. Um, Folks say it is an anti-inflammatory, that it can relieve pain, that it can soothe anxiety. And right now, at least at the federal level, A CBD drug approved by the FDA can be used to treat epilepsy. One industry group says that CBD will be a $2 billion industry by 2020. I wanted to understand more about CBD, so I called up Ali Conti. She's a reporter with Vice, and she is very familiar with the CBD. Yeah, you know me. Ali, hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How's it going? Pretty good. Thank you for your time. Uh, We are here to talk about... Three buzzy letters in the zeitgeist right now. <laughs> they are CBD. Um, I want to ask you about that because you've written about trying CBD yourself. I did. What did it do to you? Uh, that's a good question. And I will say I've tried <laughs> it uh, many more than one time uh, ah, okay. <laughs> to, to varying degrees of success, right? So I've tried vaping it. I've tried uh, ingesting it as a tincture. I've tried uh, eating it as a gummy. That's just like a little drop or what? What is that? Sure, mean? yeah. It's like a little dropper bottle and you put okay. it either under your tongue or in some water and then you drink the yeah. water. Such a great um, word, tincture. I know. You don't get to use that very often. Uh, <laughs> it's a good one. But yeah, yeah, so I would say that I've had varying uh, degrees of success with it and that you know is in part because this is not regulated and it comes in various potencies and a lot of which are not accurately labeled. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's also like besides just the stuff that like looks like medicine, like a dropper or a pill or whatever, it's also in drinks. Like I've seen bars around Los Angeles that have CBD cocktails. My favorite internet person, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, (laughs) talks about CBD cocktails on her wellness site, Goop. Oh, I was also going to mention 
CBD coffee. I don't know if you guys have that out <laughs> oh there. Goodness. I find that to be the funniest That's one because absurd. If you're drinking, like, if you're drinking yeah. coffee, aren't you just kind of negating the effects of the coffee if it uh, alleviates anxiety? I don't really understand yeah. what the purpose of that is. Coffee's an upper, right? Um, not sure what you would mix that uh, with CBD for. <laughs> so, you have written about. Uh, trying CBD. You work for Vice and Vice gets shipped a lot of CBD products but you tried <laughs> it in this thing you wrote where you use some CBD I don't know, well, essence oil in a jewel pen. These are the pens, the, the vape pens that are famous with the kids. That's the other buzzy thing out there right now is the jewel so I mixed the two biggest fads together to yeah. see what would happen. Yeah. You wrote uh, in the piece, quote it felt like the internal volume turned down a little bit and you compared it to having exactly one glass of wine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like a naturally occurring Xanax, maybe? <laughs> sure, yeah. And the guy who made those CBD jewel pods that I wrote about actually used almost that exact phrase to describe his product. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason why... There's a lot of conversation about CBD is not just because it's buzzy, but there are also a lot of questions about whether or not you can actually legally consume this stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't want us to go too far down the rabbit hole, but there are big gray areas that surround CBD and its legality, correct? It's incredibly confusing and it's almost <laughs> impossible not to go deep deep into the weeds once you even bring up that question but uh the short answer is that the stuff that you're seeing on the shelves and it's ubiquitous like you mentioned before but that stuff is not legal it's uh, not legal correct it's like in a gray area it's not something that um you know the dea before was going to go after but yeah it's not it was still like a scheduled drug just like yeah. heroin or meth but also, mm-hmm. on December 20th, the newest iteration of the, the federal farm bill was signed into law. Yes. And that actually descheduled uh, hemp. Descheduled hemp, but did it descheduled CBD that's derived from hemp? Yes, but there okay. isn't any yet. So basically, the, the CBD that will be descheduled and that you'll be legally able to carry around doesn't really exist yet. It has to be made using this very specific method that has just been codified. So Hmm. that stuff isn't on the shelves yet. But as early as next year, we should be able to see things that have been made, you know, according to these federal regulations that you should be legally allowed to take even, you know, on an airplane, anywhere that you would want. Gotcha. But also, it's very it's going to be very expensive to make this stuff. And a lot of the companies that are making the stuff you see right now are simply not going to be able to withstand the process of making the stuff above board. It has to be FDA approved, and that's an expensive process. And so moving past legality, basically it's in a murky legal gray area right now, but it's moving towards a space in which it's more legal. But besides that, I want to talk about why it seems CBD is having a moment. Um, A friend of mine was telling me that when he was home in suburban Pennsylvania over the holidays, CBD was like in the malls, you know, middle-aged aunties were buying it. Right. What's that about? And I agree with that. It really is having a moment. I was just in Florida. Same thing was going on. But, you know, first off, the concepts of of snake oil, that's not exactly new to, to human history. And I think a lot of this kind of boils down to... People wanting to believe that that something's out there with so much untapped medical potential. 
you know, that doesn't surprise me at all, really. Like, it's a nice thought to think that such a thing exists. Yeah. This does dovetail, interestingly, with the kind of wellness and self-care movements of the past couple of years. But, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe if you wanted to get a little bit deeper, it's worth kind of noting that, you know, the recent rise of CBD kind of coincides with the dissolution of public trust in institutions. (laughs) I don't know. Like, this is... Go there. Go there. Keep going. Maybe if there's a thing that you can buy that kind of circumvents, you know, big pharma and the government Mm. and provides you with either, you know, real or imagined relief, you know, it's tempting to kind of go that route. I do find it interesting when people write about CBD, they talk about how some of the effect it has on people might just be a placebo effect. Mm -hmm. And whenever I hear people say, oh, well, it's just a placebo effect, I kind of say to myself, and what's wrong with that? (laughs) If Mm -hmm. a placebo effect means that you feel better, cool. Yeah, I think it depends what the person is taking it for. If they're taking it because they feel slightly elevated levels of anxiety, then no, I don't think it really makes much of a difference whether or not it's a placebo or not. If someone's taking it because they have cancer and don't want to go to the doctor, it does matter a bit more. You know, it depends what the stakes are, really. Well, um, thank you so much for being a CBD guinea pig and talking to me all about it. Absolutely. Glad to help. So, Sarah, Sue, there's a lot to unpack there. What do you think about that? I've heard a lot about it. I will say I do have one good friend who has been using it uh, for a long time because she has a really medically complex kid and have used it to treat seizures. As it, we, what yeah. you were talking about, Sam, the medical reason for CBD. And it has helped her son a lot. I have had some friends, and I will not name them, but I have had some <laughs> friends who uh, I've joked, and I think that this is going to be a cultural story about this, and that it's like the new mommy's little helper, that it's yeah. for like moms who like, you know, the wine culture, but if you don't want to like drink alcohol, or you don't want to, or you don't drink alcohol, but you don't want to take pharmaceuticals, that it's like this mid-ground thing of things you can do to relax that doesn't make you feel bad for taking it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been uh, following this story from a different angle, from the business angle. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, Uh, Big beverage and food companies, this is something they have to think about very carefully um, because particularly as you talk about this idea of like the suburban auntie uh, turning to this as a wine alternative, that sends a chill down the spine of (laughs) every big alcohol maker, right? Um, So we have seen uh, companies like Constellation Brands, this is the parent of Corona and Modelo, uh, they have made investments in uh, a Canadian cannabis company. Really? Yes. Molson Coors is working. It's Canadian unit is uh, working in partnership with a cannabis company to uh, create a CBD beverage that will be for sale in Canada because they've legalized there. So for all these uh, big alcohol companies and also big tobacco, right, this uh, presents a very uh, interesting and difficult business question because we don't know when this uh, gray area is going to end in the United States and we don't know uh, in other Western countries when this may be legalized or not. This is why I was saying CBD feels like the thing in the next coming years that we're going to start to see everywhere. The same way that like different things have moments like rosé. Remember? Like, it's like, it, oh, well, I'm still having my oh, rosé no, moment. Oh, no, I'm still in the rosé moment, too. <laughs> but I would probably try CBD rosé. So the marketing, the beverage companies get me and they probably know what I want more before I know what I want. All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll play my favorite game. No CBD involved, though. It's called Who Said That? BRB. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So... 
The work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Hey, this is Guy Raz, and on the next TED Radio Hour, stories of remarkable transformations in the face of extraordinary circumstances. I often forget that my limbs are synthetic. That's how well they work. You can find the TED Radio Hour wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Sarah Halzak, who covers retail for Bloomberg, and Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR. Y'all, it's time for my favorite game. You both played it before. It's called Who Said That? The game is very simple. I share a quote from the week. You have to guess who said that or get the story I'm referring to or just get close. I'll give you some hints as well. Uh, of course, as you both know, the winner gets nothing but bragging rights. Which of you is most prepared to win? Uh, I want ready? to win, but I am also like have been out of the news for a while. So I feel like Sarah is entering this contest with a little bit of an advantage. But... Oh, no. Now I'm going to look bad <laughs> if I don't win. First quote. Ready? Mm-hmm. Boy and girl have just one wish for 2019, and it is that you not end up in the hospital due to memes. Oh, is this the bird Bird box? box. Yes. Oh, that's a tie. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that statement was an official statement from Netflix given on Twitter, uh, basically urging all of us to stop recreating scenes from the newest hit movie, Bird Box. Have you seen it? I have seen it several times. I can't. I will never <laughs> see it. I still have nightmares about the Blair Witch Project. Oh my god. <laughs> so what are people doing? Are they blindfolding themselves and like They are. Uh, so the whole premise of the film is that some weird spirit or virus or something makes you want to commit suicide if you see it. So to avoid the demon, you have to, like, have your eyes constantly covered. So Sandra Bullock and two children are trying to escape to freedom while blindfolded. (laughs) So there's just this whole movie of Sandra Bullock. So are they blindfolded for, like, 80% of the movie? Is that Yes. So she's leading kids through the woods in blindfolds. So people, because of the Internet, have been recreating those scenes. There was one I saw where this guy dresses up his two toddlers in blindfolds (gasps) and starts running through the house with them and one of them runs into the wall one of the little kitties he was fine but it's like stop doing that yeah just take cbd (laughs) there you go that is like dangerously stupid and if you're gonna do it don't involve children you weirdos come on right (laughs) all right this is a tie it's one to one uh next quote you ready yes it was cold and i needed a coat so I went shopping in my closet. I had no plan or Nancy intention. Nancy Pelosi. Yep. Okay. Yes. The coat. This is a new Speaker of the House talking about that coat she wore a few weeks ago to the Oval Office for that Trump shutdown meeting. Uh, it was a rusty red Max Mara uh, jacket. Was it not quite a pea coat? What, how would you describe it? 
describe it as peacoat-like. Peacoat-like, a strong, yeah. tall collar. With a luxury cut. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Very nice cut. But this jacket became the thing of a thousand memes when she walked out of the Oval Office like a Charlie's Angel just strutting in that jacket. Um, and she talked about it this week with Elle magazine and said, there was no big plan. It was just a jacket that was clean in my closet. She said, quote, clean should be the first criteria. It was just clean. This is my thing, too, with that, like, if you try to if you make decisions to try and become a meme it doesn't work like the best memes are happen by accident yes max mara the brand that made that jacket says uh they're gonna bring that jacket back but like who is that consumer right because that how much does that jacket cost like a max mara i was gonna say that's got to be high three figures or low four figures you know like i don't think that's like young millennial women buying that coat or they think they're gonna and then they look at it and they're like (laughs) no well and the other thing is you know how long is it going to take them to reproduce it and get it on shelves yeah All right, last quote for all the marbles. Y'all ready? I'm ready. Okay. Quote, we find the passenger acceptance of floppy ear dogs is just better. It presents just a little bit less of a concern. Doesn't scare children. Who said that? Emotion. Oh. Is it about emotional support animals? Is that where we're going? It's about the kind of dogs that you see in airports. Bomb sniffing dogs? Yes, but who is in charge of those? TSA? Yes. Oh. Is that a tie? I don't know. I, I, you can give it to Sue. Oh, okay. Did I wow. win? I think In you your did. face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, they announced that they're going to begin phasing out pointy-eared dogs for searching and stuff at airports. Like German Shepherds? Yeah, and replace them with only floppy-eared dogs. Like Golden Retrievers. Oh. Yes, because they say people are just less scared of floppy-eared dogs. I think that that's probably true. That checks out. Sure. Because I'm thinking of like Doberman pinchers that can have pointy ears or German shepherds or I think that sometimes those dogs do seem more like authoritarian than Mm -hmm. like a golden retriever or a lab. Yeah. But as a dog person, I got to say there's no such thing as a bad dog. Only bad people. I agree with that. hurts my heart. That's about, Mm -hmm. that is definitely true. I know. Anyway, that concludes Who Said That. Uh, Sue, you're a winner, but you get nothing. (laughs) Now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Uh, We asked folks at the end of 2018 to send us the best parts of their entire year. We got so many of those responses. We're going to air some more of those this week as well. So right now you're going to hear some best things of the week and some best things of folks last year. Let's take a listen. Hola, Sam. It's Maggie. And Megan from Minnesota. The best part of our week is being in Mexico celebrating our 40th birthdays and the new year with our best friends. We We love love your show. show. Prospero Año Nuevo a todos. Hey, Sam. It's Jessica from Paragold, Arkansas. The best thing that happened to me all week was I graduated with my master's degree in educational leadership. The best part of my week happened on New Year's Day when my 15-month-old daughter finally took her first steps toward me. Hey Sam, hey show. This is Mags Colvett from Columbus, Ohio. And the best thing that happened to me in 2018 is that I came out as transgender and my family, my graduate program, and my ultimate Frisbee team were all lovely and affirming about it. So what more could you need? Hi, Sam. This is Lara in Arequipa, Peru. The best thing that happened to me this week is kind of bittersweet, actually. I successfully finished the last week of my Fulbright grant as an English teacher, and I've been sharing this Fulbright journey with my two daughters, 
and now we are getting ready to head home to North Carolina. Thanks for keeping me connected to things going on stateside. Hey, y'all, this is Andrea from Los Angeles. And the best thing that happened to me this year is that when I leave my office before Christmas, uh, it will be the last time that I leave my office because I'm leaving my job and I am changing my career. I don't know what the year holds, but uh, I know it's hopefully going to be fulfilling. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. This is Caitlin, and I'm in Chico, California right now. And the best part of my week is spending the Christmas holiday with my whole family post the campfire fire and our grandparents losing their home and us all being together safe and happy and having a really fun time. We wish you the best and happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. Take care. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. I love the group ones. Yeah, all of those just warm my heart. <laughs> they really do. Uh, happy birthday to Maggie and Megan. Uh, thanks to the other voices you heard there. Jessica, Grant, Mags, Laura, Andrea, Caitlin, and her family. Um, That's beautiful. I actually was in Mexico recently as well for New Year's. Went mm, down to the beach. Where? Uh, Primo Tapia. It's in between Rosarita and Ensenada, kind of on the water. On the Pacific side. Pacific side. You got this nice Airbnb on the beach. We get there. It was like 48 degrees and rainy. Whoopsie daisy. (laughs) But it was still fun. (laughs) Got some good Mexican food. It was delightful. How'd you guys do your New Year? Uh, I had the first uh, adult I would say uh, the first mom New Year's of my life in that I have a new baby. So I went, friends of ours always have a party, but I went on the early end and was literally home by eight (laughs) o'clock. Sarah, what about you? I was just here in D.C. at a small party at a friend's house. But here's the key thing that they did that I thought was a win. Mm -hmm. They didn't put out dinner until after midnight. Wow. So you had to stay. You had to stay. They put out the ziti like right at that moment. Where <laughs> is ziti a New Year's thing? I don't. I don't know. It is now. It's that's yeah. what they did, and it was successful. You put out the baked ziti right at the point where people have had like quite a bit of champagne and need to eat something, and it really keeps the party going. Pro tip. All right, all right, all right. Um, we are going to say goodbye to you all right now, and we're going to go out on Taylor Swift and her song Gorgeous. As we mourn this week, the demise of her social media site, the Swift life, the Swift death is over. <laughs> oh, sorry, Taylor. Many thanks to my guests this week, Sarah Halzak, who covers retail for Bloomberg, and Sue Davis, who covers Congress for NPR. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Sam. Thank and you, have Sam. a great 2019. Yes, it's going to be great. It's I believe It's going to be great. It. I receive it. This week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with help from Alex McCall. The show was engineered by Josh Newell. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman, and Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our big boss, she signs my paychecks, is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for my chat with Katherine Hahn. Uh, you might think you don't know her, but you do. She was in I Love Dick, this really amazingly strange Amazon Prime series. She was in the Netflix movie Private Life, which is getting a bunch of awards buzz this season. I talked with her all about what it's like for her to play women on screen who are brilliant and tough and rough around the edges and anxious all at the same time. You'll enjoy it. Check for it on Tuesday. Uh, all right, listeners, till next time. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Taylor Swift, for this bop. Uh, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts.